I, I definitely feel that isolation. Talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. She told me that I should change my career goal. We're only doing science to take care of our community. You need to feel 100% prepared for sharing your knowledge. Um, there's never been a road that someone has shown me. If no one do it, it's okay if you want to do it. Well, I had a 2.5 GPA. How do I overcome this? First gen come grade, I was the class low. Higher education is for them. It will empower them. They will have a Present fun time. Present myself they will in a way that well. I feel that people would be able to to really acknowledge who I am and like we need to retain them be you you know like stop trying to mold yourself to fit. it's not just about the science it's about how we vote you know how we treat people who are different to us you know how we try and get the best out of people those things are really important when I graduate from our program I will be the first African-American male to ever have matched and graduated as a surgeon at this institution as a general surgeon which in 2021 just seems ridiculous to me. What's up, y'all? It's your host, JP Flores, and welcome to From Where Does It Stem? I finished crying in the instant that you left And I can't remember where or when or how And I banished every memory you and I had Hi, my name's Alexis Zikowski. I am a postdoctoral researcher here at the University of Colorado, Denver, at the Antrims Medical Campus. I am in the Department of Biochemistry and Molecular Genetics, and I'm working in Srinivas Ramachandran's lab. He's new faculty, so it's been pretty exciting working with someone young and new. My journey's a bit, how do you say, windy, uh, torturous, just kind of like... It's not very linear. So I actually was born and raised overseas as a Navy brat on a U.S. Navy base in Japan. And so I moved around a couple times to San Diego. I don't really remember. I was really young. And then I lived in Florida for a couple of years in middle school. But most of my education was at a high school on a naval base. Uh, so we didn't have a lot of STEM exposure. Uh, I had a you know biology teacher or whatever. And I think we dissected like a cow eyeball at some point, but that was kind of it. Uh, I graduated in 2004, and then I went to the farthest I could get from my parents. I went to Southern New Hampshire University. Um, I had a full ride to play soccer, actually. So that was the main reason why I went is financially, it was really good for my family. Um, and I enjoyed doing what I you know, was doing at the time, which was soccer. I stayed a year. Um, and then I ended up transferring to San Diego where my older sister was stationed as she's in the Navy at the time. Um, cause I, I had to make a decision about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Cause things start to matter. Those decisions matter once you're in college. So yeah, I was in community college for a couple of years. I transferred to San Diego state university, um, with the help of an organization that's NIH funded. It's called IMSD or initiative for maximizing student development something like that. Anyways, they were integral to getting myself into a, um, higher education, especially in STEM. So specifically the PhD track. Uh, so they helped prepare me. Um, but when I graduated as like a super, super senior, I wanted to not be in science anymore. I wanted to do something else. So um, I went to South Korea to Seoul to teach English for a year. Um, I have relatives on my father's side there. So I wanted to get to know them. Uh, got bored because you know I enjoy teaching, but I was antsy to get back to it. 
something different. So that actually made me miss science. Uh, so I moved back to San Diego. I got into biotech. I worked there for about a year and a half. At that point, I decided, you know, I have to get back into science. So I was a biochem tutor at my alma mater. Um, it helped me with my GREs, getting back into grad school, filling out the application. But it also showed me the limitations of a bachelor's degree in science and being in biotech. So I saw where movement upwards was very limited. You can move slightly sideways with an upslope-ish, but there was a point where you can't really follow your curiosity. That's also something biotech is known for, but yeah, you're not a project manager, right? You're just, you're, you're a tech at that point. So I was curious enough to want to guide my own research. And so I decided to enter the PhD program here at University of Colorado Denver at Anschutz. Um, I did my PhD in Aaron Johnson's lab in the same department actually. And it was really fun because it's hardcore biochemistry. I wanted to study the proteins responsible for silencing genes. Um, so these are silencing machinery proteins. Um, I studied the model system for silencing in budding yeast. So uh, the organism used to make bread, wine, beers, all the good stuff. And then for my postdoc, where I'm at now, I really wanted to make the leap into translational science. I wanted to get closer to patients. I wanted to get closer to human disease. And so now I'm studying um, cancer. I'm developing a method to ultimately detect cancer dynamics just using patient blood. Um, so that's kind of the cool mode I've switched into. So that is where I'm at now. I'm two years in uh, come November. So very cool. Yeah. I didn't know you were a uh, soccer player. I, I don't know if I told you this. I am a baseball player at Occidental College. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I get that student athlete struggle. <laughs> yeah. Balancing. Um, mm -hmm. Right. But you did forget your fun fact. Mm. Fun <laughs> fact. Okay. Well, it's also related to soccer. It's kind of funny. So I transferred after my freshman year from Southern New Hampshire University, but you know, I still had the bug. I wanna play soccer still. So I ended up playing for my community college, but that year, it was 2005, the Women's Professional Soccer League folded. They didn't have enough funding. So all the professional players moved into the semi-pro league and San Diego at the time wanted to start their own semi-pro team. God, we totally sucked. But my friend and I got to play on it and at one point, we were playing in Vancouver against, I forgot what the Canadian, the, the Vancouver team was called, but basically it was half of the Canadian national team playing on this, on this team. So our team went defensive. I was the sole forward. I was the one person at the midfield. Everyone else played defense and they're like, just get Alexis the ball, see what she can do. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, we got smashed. Like, I think yeah, it was like 12 to 0. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> it was so bad. Yeah. Uh, humbling. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I bet. As an athlete. Yeah. I guess <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I guess on a more non science uh, personal note, what were your upbringings and how has this shaped you into the person you are today? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I represent a community of. Um, it's a very diverse but very small community of American military kids. So, you know, we 
are all over the world. We live on military installations. We're not stateside for the most part. There's constant change, constant flux in our lives. Uh, the longest I've had a friend was maybe two or three years and then they'd leave. There's this interesting psychological development we go through, unlike our stateside peers, where we, we struggle with that. I still have issues with being in a place for too long. This is actually the longest I've stayed in one place, but I think it's constant change. I think it's knowing uncertainty. You have family members who are, you know, out and war could occur or where the current war is occurring and they're out there in some kind of support or uh, position. Um, but also there's a, a lot of diversity, at least where I come from. Um, my mom's Filipino, my dad's South Korean and my the colleagues, I think there's 90 kids in my class alone, my senior class. Most of us are, um, you know, first generation American. Many are first generation college students. A good proportion of my class entered the military because that was financially the best option. You don't really think too much of college unless you've had siblings who went already or parents who went already. So a portion of us strive to want to do more. We just sometimes don't really have the tools or experiences. Um, and that's why for, yeah, a number of us, it kind of takes a lot of uh, weaving and turning throughout life before we actually get to where we are. But um, I think it's added to some resilience that is important in any career you would go through. So I don't know. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned that you don't like staying in one place for way too long, but you're in a PhD program and then you are now doing your postdoc. How does that yeah. work? What are your plans for the future and how have you been able to navigate that? Yeah, the PhD, I think I spent six years in it. Again, that that was probably actually the longest I've stayed and I've continued to stay here. So I'm actually at like eight years. Um, but I think as I also get older in my stage of life as well, like I'm, you know, I just got married and we want to start kids. I think there's a lot more decision-making that goes into now wanting to establish roots. And so I think this also gets back to the point where in science um, it's highly encouraged if you want to take the academic route to keep switching institutions, right? Like you're never too safe or too stagnant is the argument. But that's starting to change that attitude, which I appreciate because my CV right now for science would be like, well, she stayed in the same department, same institution. Is she really changing uh, the work environment she's in? Is she really growing? Um, I think I am. Um, but uh, moving forward, who knows, right? COVID, it's all virtual now. It's, it's really about whether I want to stay um, more lab bench versus a lot of data analysis, which I'm doing right now, right? How do you, I juggle that, but I think I want to get into industry at this point. Um, yeah. Very cool. That journey, I said, it, it's a very, it's very much a winding road. And a lot of scientists that I've talked to, they always kind of talk about, you know, finding your tribe and the support system aspect of it, communities. So what were your support systems like growing up or what were your communities like? Because it just seems like we're just bouncing around so much. Yeah. So one great thing about the military life is each installation um, or each place you go to, each base, uh, everyone's kind of in that same um, state of flux. So it's actually 
at least for me, it was a little easier for me to kind of blend in. Um, and naturally, people understand they can empathize with each other. So it wasn't too hard to find that support, at least personally. But it gets harder when you are an undergrad and then um, grad school and then your postdoc. So I've found that sports, and I think you can relate to this, has always been one way for me to easily make friends and easily find camaraderie and find that support system. That has carried me all the way up here into postdoc. So I've always played rec soccer. They've been my family away from family. Uh, it does get harder because you are moving you know, from grad school, postdoc, you're expected to leave your support systems that you've developed over the years and start anew again. So. It's, it's harder, but my military life prepared me for this. Yeah, I'm applying for graduate schools right now, and I just built a really good support system at Occidental. I have my mm -hmm. team, I have my classmates, faculty, and I'm not going to lie, like, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty daunting. Um, yeah. But what do you think you would have told your younger self? Because I'm sure there were days where it's like, man, this, is, this sucks. Right? I don't mm -hmm. know if you felt that, I'm sure you have, but what would you tell your younger self? What, have you, what would you have told yourself along each step in the way? grade mm -hmm. school, middle school, high school, undergrad? When uh, I was in grade school, I wouldn't change anything. Um, I would tell myself, make the decisions you make. Um, because where I am right now, you know, some complicated network of decision making and things I can't <laughs> oh, yeah. control that brought me here. And so to change any of that kind of behavior, I wouldn't recommend <laughs> my, yeah. my younger self. But you know, struggle is such a big part of life in general and also science, but you stick with it and you find people who are reliable and honest yeah. um, and trustworthy and you keep those people close. Um, you'll go years without talking to friends and then, you know, surprisingly, you'll meet up again and you'll just, you know, take off where you left off, which is fantastic. Um, I think the most struggle was really grad school. That's a big psychological, mental struggle. I think I've learned more about myself in those six years than any portion of my life. Um, I'm pretty sure I have, you know, some proportion of imposter syndrome or some percentage yeah. of that. Because uh, you don't see many people who look like me uh, right. around. Um, so it's, it's hard to relate in very different life experiences. But in the end, it's always worth it. At the end of the day, you do the best you can and you just have to let it go. So I would say don't dwell on the feelings of failure. Everyone is struggling. Um, just focus on you. And yeah, it's, it's, you're part of an amazing job. I get paid to come and test biology and like figure out some phenomenon that, you know, like that's insane. Right. No, it's amazing. Who gets to do that, right? No dress code. I love it. Any hours of the day. Like, right? A few I mean, days if you really want. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it, yeah, okay, you don't make a lot of money, but that's kind of not the, not the point right now in my life. Um, yeah. Just having a, a good time. Yeah. What's really important though is finding mentors and friends and colleagues who are positive and yeah, the support system's like integral. There's no way you can survive this on your own. So definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's another theme that a lot of people have been telling me about the mentor mentee relationship. Are you a part of any mentorships? Are you, do you consider yourself a mentor and how does it feel to inspire and empower others? Yes. So I, I want to first say that the only reason I'm here is because I've 
had very good mentors. I haven't had the experience and I hope I don't knock on wood. I have a, a bad mentor. Um, and those people have really, you know, even currently they keep sharing with me the ways, uh, or like osmosis. I kind of want to take on the way they treat this mentee mentor relationship. I, I am part of, um, a mentoring program here. Uh, we don't meet physically anymore, but it's usually a senior grad student will mentor first year grad students. And then as a postdoc, you could still participate in mentoring um, senior grad students. Uh, I just joined the Fragile Nucleosome Mentor yep, um, Program. Yep. I'm so, in that as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hope to hear about that. As a senior position in the lab, um, I'm always constantly mentoring and being menteed uh, by my colleagues, which is great. I, I think it's dangerous to always think hierarchical, um, but even the senior lab manager has a lot to teach me, but I also have different ex uh, expertise that I can teach him. I'm pretty open with that, but I think it's so important. And this is, again, it's all tainted with my personal experience. So it's hard to just give general advice to people, always take it with a grain of salt. Um, but I didn't choose a lab solely on the science or the pedigree. I joined very new labs. Um, my grad school, I knew going in the risk of any kind of fellowship would be hit because my mentor is like two years in and, you know, that uh, track record of mentoring is just non-existent yet. Right. Yeah. But science is going to be interesting wherever you go. That's just, I think that's a given. But to find someone who respects you as a person, cares about your outside life. I've heard some crazy stories about how people have time cards in lab and, you know, you're an adult, <laughs> like you yeah. shouldn't be treated like a child, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And yeah, someone who just wants to know how you're doing is very refreshing to hear, especially when, when you decide to go to grad school, people are like, oh my God, grad school is the worst. It's like, why would you want to do that? Uh, yeah, I think that's because they just had really terrible mentors. Um, my mentor now currently is so all about everyone is like, again, no hierarchy. It's yeah. he, he wants just everyone. There shouldn't be any kind of like competitiveness or anything like that. We have mental check-ins. You take mental days off. You just let them know, I'm going to take the day off. I just need to work with this. It's, it's just so important that you have that kind of mentor and you seek that mentor out grad school is hard and it can only get harder if you have a pretty crappy mentor or someone who just doesn't see you as contributing to their success, which in yeah. reality, we're both taking from each other in this relationship. If I'm successful, my mentor is successful. If they're successful, I'm successful also. Right. Yeah. And I get a lot of advice. Talk to the grad students in people's labs so you know a little more about the mentor rather than talking to them directly. So. No, I think that's really good advice. And it seems like everyone is on board with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to talk about that feeling of isolation uh, you were talking about. How do you think we can be better um, as an education system to provide full inclusion, to be aware of all the perspectives and different backgrounds that people have? Yeah, so that's taken on such huge importance and emphasis just in the past couple of months. You've seen, right. I haven't seen such shifts in the paradigm of what a department or institution should be until, yeah, the last like six months, right? 
I encourage people to become active. It's just always back to that like Gandhi quote, right? You want to, if you want to see the change, be the change. And you have to do that here. Uh, the scientific community still can be very isolating. Um, you know, and that could be just on, again, life experience, uh, you know, your racial identity, your sexual orientation, you know, anything, right? Like you can feel alone because it's just so not diverse yet. Um, but our department, for example, we've taken on a whole committee that's now broken into subcommittees because so many people are interested and we're just trying to figure out how do you get people to empathize and just hear other people's stories outside the bench, right? I'm gonna know my scientific colleagues based on their science. That's just all we talk about here. You know, we had happy hours. That was a big part of pre-COVID, which helped. But now it's so easy to be isolated in the virtual world. So we're trying to navigate how do you be inclusive? How do you be diverse? How do you be anti-racist? How do you include people of different life experiences and perspectives? Um, and it's a challenge. It's it's tough. But how do you measure that, right? I think that's like... Right. That's the hardest thing, but you know, we're, we're still doing happy hours. We're like, Hey, virtually <laughs> let's do a happy hour. There's nothing more, I don't know, easy to like, just start, yeah. you know, talking about stuff, but we try to have a certain theme or a goal. Uh, so I'm on a subcommittee, which is actually one of the happy hours. Um, and so I like our idea for this month is generate a personal culture box and that's bring three items that represent you your culture your oh that's racial so cool identity, whichever I'm writing that down <laughs> yeah so with some drinks in hand be they alcoholic or not everybody gets to go around and it could be digital too you can make a slide of things and then we just have to we go into breakout rooms right make this conducive you, you don't have 50 people talking at once so breakout rooms of four to five people and we go around and it's, it's pretty fun other people have done your favorite food or what do you miss from home and why and that's really gotten to people's roots so different ways to go about it we try to go through like the happy hour one another subcommittee is trying to be a bit more formal so we're going to yeah. you know include a lot of um, well-known or well-respected diversity educators that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. very cool. Yeah, so there's a lot of things going on in higher education. It seems like uh, a lot of people are saying that a big component to this is outreach to um, children mm. and, and kids. Mm. What What are your thoughts on that? Do you have any ideas on how we can do different outreach programs? Do absolutely. So it's really not. This is like an endpoint, right? Uh, higher education, um, PhDs. We as a community realize that the pipeline is just too leaky to begin with. Meaning yeah. again, I think a good and often overlooked area is a military kids I actually want to develop um, a virtual mentoring for high school kids overseas. Um, because, be cool. Yeah. We don't have the resources for us to go visit a lab at the university down the street. Instead, I grew up in Japan. We have Japanese universities, which are doing great science, but I'm pretty sure they're not going to let just a bunch of American high school kids come on in, right? Like, there's just yeah. the language barrier. They have enough going on. I don't know if you can make a pitch at like how invested they be. <laughs> so um, now that physical distance is no longer a barrier these days, outreach to high school just to start with, um, I think it's just planting the seed. 
you don't have to be, you know, I wasn't, I love science from the very beginning. It was like, I don't know, it's kind of cool, right? Like, we'll see where it goes. Um, I was going to be like a history major, but I think to start (laughs) in high school and then undergrad, it's telling people PhDs are paid for, you know, you don't have to pay for this, um, uh, for biomedical research uh, in the PhD level. It's even us in our local communities as a department and a university, we want to go out to even um, the local community colleges, right? I think there's a lot of great, often overlooked uh, sources of potential there. The, the biggest obstacle is experience and exposure and just knowledge, like just knowing how to get into higher education. Yeah. Accessibility, right? Yeah. Accessibility. You always think, well, I probably have to pay for that. It's really expensive. Why would I do that? You know, I can make more money doing this or culturally, if you see people who first generation and their parents are like, well, why would you spend so much time in a low paying career? Like, I don't see the value in that. Why don't you just work at the restaurant or whatever? You're making money. It's tangible. We can see it. It's even cultural barriers. Um, but I think it's really engaging with the community, which is something that we are so prone not to do. Yeah, you know, no, the, 100%. Yeah, we, the ivory tower is such a good metaphor for that, right? Like it's almost untouchable. You're up there. You don't care about that outside world, just your science. I think COVID has really brought that to the forefront. It's why aren't oh, yeah. scientists engaging with the public and saying, hey, without all this jargon, this is what's happening. You know, especially NIH funded research, it's taxpayer money. They should know exactly what we're doing. Um, but the, it's hard to talk actually to the general public and dumb down your science. It takes effort. Um, I think that's also something, so. So do you have any advice for those that feel they don't belong in STEM and and like share your similar identities? So what do you tell these military kids? Yeah, I would say keep an open mind. Um, One of the things I've noticed in my journey is for the most part, I've said yes to everything in terms of if an opportunity comes your way, and one opportunity was like, hey, do this summer enrichment program. We'll teach you chemistry, physics, this kind of stuff, and show you what a lab thing is like, a lab um, experience is like. And that was at community college. And I was like, well, I mean, if it's an opportunity, why not do it? And if I did it, or I did it, obviously, but <laughs> if you do it and you don't like it, now that's easier than always asking the question, what if? Um, right. So I would say process of elimination, there's really, other than an investment in time, which again, you're going to get an answer out of it if you do it and try it, right? You're going to do it. Say you do a whole summer, you hate it. Well, that's good. That's one less thing that, you know, you don't have to like test. So I would say, say yes to opportunities, but also seek them out. Um, Yeah, I think just be open-minded. um, there are resources out there if you just have an yeah. inkling of like what are biology's like I know YouTube is you know, <laughs> such a a lot of traditional places that seem inaccessible are quite accessible uh, shout out to the internet <laughs> I know it's yeah. fantastic technology right? we wouldn't be doing this right <laughs> exactly yeah yeah so how does it feel to be at this point in your career in in STEM and just like at this point in your life in general? Because again, again, winding road, you finally mm-hmm. settled in or seemingly settled into something that you want to do. How does that feel for yourself? 
personally? Yeah, uh, I would say it's a major achievement. I, I tend to forget about that. We don't really use the title doctor here with each other. It's always just first yeah. name basis. Um, so it's easy to forget the struggle and just the winding roads, the... Yeah, Dr. Sikowski, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, that's so weird. <laughs> but I guess, yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, yeah, uh, the brick walls you hit. Um, yeah. And kind of blending in your last question, which I didn't really answer, but feeling that you don't belong um, because, again, no one looks like you or experiences like you. If you can find the, the small amount of confidence in yourself um, and just know that how you got here is just, it's huge, right? Like you can just take a step back and think about everything that could have gone wrong, every other direction you could have gone in. I think we should really celebrate that. I, I don't think we celebrate enough, actually. The things just, honestly, getting up every day and surviving, oh, yeah. driving, I mean, that's a huge accomplishment for survival. Right? But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess I haven't really thought of You've never no, been I, like, oh, I'm here. <laughs> I'm a badass. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, not until this year, actually. Um, I think it's how do you, uh, the rewards. The yeah. tangible rewards are few and far between. Meaning, you know, I tried eight times to get a fellowship. I think total between, no, no, no oh, almost 10 times between starting grad school and, and the postdoc now. Yeah. You know, we understand at the most basic sense to win, right? That's just such a nice feeling. You get a ribbon, a medal, you win money, right? Like it's such a nice reward um, feedback, but I didn't get one until like 10 failures, 10 no's later, you finally get a fellowship and you're like, holy shit. Or, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. You can do Expletive. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But you're like, I got something. Someone thinks my ideas are interesting and worth funding and that's huge and, and those are those are hard to come across so I think it's really finding also get your peers to remind you I'm here I belong here I made it here they wouldn't just let yeah. you in and spend money on you just because uh, no I really hope not but <laughs> yeah right. so I finally started kicking in maybe I am kind of like a badass but <laughs> you are you are trust me I got your survey and I was like oh my dude is so cool <laughs> be really fun <laughs> yeah uh, but you talked about like, imposter syndrome a little bit earlier what do you do to motivate yourself on the days when it's harder to get things done we're in a pandemic we're working remote like, like you said it's mostly data analysis which I'm sure you love but I'm sure you miss the bench work and doing that a lot too Right. Yeah. So what do you say to yourself to motivate yourself and keep yourself going? This is great. I just had a conversation with my mentor on Slack this morning about this <laughs> exact topic. Um, so imposter syndrome is pretty um, pervasive, especially in this community. The first step is just acknowledging that you have it, but also know everyone else around you is probably struggling a little bit with it too. So you're not alone, but Gosh, I've had to just journal is a big thing for me, journaling, just writing it out um, and looking at the words. And then you start to kind of take apart the thoughts. 
know, is that really just some kind of reaction because your experiment failed? Is it because someone said something not nice to you or is it your own uh, disappointment or feeling, you know, you're just not moving fast enough? It's good to put that in words, uh, maybe speaking out loud to yourself, right? Um, but again, this is where that support system is so important is get people who are honest with you, you know, who can call your bullshit out, but also yeah, be yeah. there and be like, no, you are good. I trust that person to give me that kind of honest feedback. And how do you stay motivated? Yeah, staying motivated. So that's a, that, yeah, that's the one I was talking about this morning. So fortunately, um, I, I'm being funded by the American Cancer Society and in this weird way, they, um, because COVID, um, you know, has really limited or removed the idea of any kind of public events, which is how nonprofit organizations get their donations and their funds for funding research. Mm -hmm. They're relying now on a lot of virtual events. And so I love it because they're so keen on getting scientists to kind of show their donors or people who are affected by cancer to kind of give a face and a personality and just talk to normal, you know, general yeah. public. And to me, it's been great. I've done a couple outreach events now. I'm going to do my second one next week, a wine tasting thing. But that to me is motivating. Talking to the general public who are keenly interested in, you know, cancer in general. I'm more breast yeah. cancer focused, but, you know, one out of, like, I don't know, five people are going to know someone personally or indirectly who's suffered from cancer. And that I think was a huge reason as well to move from basic science and yeast to working in human disease. Because if I step away from my data and I'm like, why am I doing this? What is this all, you know, why am I here? Why am I <laughs> pissed off at my computer? Cause it's not, you right. know, data analysis is hard. You just think, well, again, this is, uh, you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for other people. Um, right. And it's bigger than me, right? And the only reason it's going to be good science and stand on its own is because it's hard, too. So I think that's a hard mm. fact to swallow or a hard truth. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so let's say you're the president of UC Denver, right? Is that right? Mm -hmm. sure. President of UC Denver uh, Medical Campus, you're in charge of everything. Yeah. What would you do to kind of diversify STEM and implement full inclusion initiatives? Like, do you already have things that you can just kind of fire off off the top of your head? Yeah. So I would put a lot of money into making sure departments are invested in their workers, their employees. Um, okay. Because one thing we've thought about as a subcommittee with these happy hours is you don't get people sharing their perspectives and their stories, their challenges, if they don't trust the person next to them, if oh, yeah. they don't have enough camaraderie, it's different from being collegial. It's knowing that the person next to me, I, I trust them with my feelings, with my thoughts, because I know more about them and they know enough about me, right? Like just creating that basic foundation of just human connection. It's so easy not to do here. Right. So easy to go in, pipette down, do your bench work, get out. <laughs> you know, people have families. They want to, you know, maximize productivity, minimize the time to do it. I respect that. But to me, you can't move forward until people are willing to share 
their perspectives. And only then do you start to realize, wow, my colleague is, you know, uh, they're from Kenya and they had to go through all this crap just to get here. I respect that so much. And, you know, the next time I feel a certain way or I want to, whatever, you just start to, you know, empathy. So I would definitely fund committees where, I don't know how to call it, like human connection kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, community building almost. Community building, exactly. Team building, community building, those types of initiatives. And then again, it'd be outreach in talking to your local community. Like, we're pretty great, I think. Um, We have ones where uh, it's called like the gong show. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of postdocs, grad students will go out to pubs and then they have three minutes to tell their science to the general public and they get a free beer. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, that's really cool. (laughs) You know, so people are creative and people do want to engage with the community. Sometimes it's hard to do that on your own. Um, so I would put those resources in place. It's outreach, it's it's community building. And the one big thing I would do, because there are just way too many people who are mentors and should not be or should be trained. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can be brilliant or whatever, but unfortunately, science for that kind of person, it's still a team. It's still collaborations across the board. It's, it's right. managing people. I don't think there's enough training when you're yeah. fielding faculty members um, to hire. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there should be a whole section on your CV about like, you can ask any of my mentees over the past year for some kind of letter of rec, that kind of thing, how much outreach have they been involved in, um, yeah, stuff like that. So, yeah. President Alexis, so it's, it's like a loop almost, <laughs> right? Like you yeah. talk about like outreach, you talk about having trust in your peers. That is the road to having good mentors. And I do think that that is what we should strive towards. Right? Mm-hmm. So is there anything else that you'd like to share or talk about before I move into a little more fun questions? Or? Um, no, I think I've kind of hit off on most of the points I feel very strongly about. Okay. Um, yeah. Cool. Oh, awesome. Fun. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. So you're done with your postdoc and you get a offer to be a professor at your dream institution. Okay. Mm-hmm. You hop in your car and you had to play three songs on your way to work or on your way home. What would those songs be? After a hard day's work? Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. So the weekend... Um, I feel awesome. it coming because I'm probably thinking about dinner. <laughs> I'm, like, seven. I'm hungry. Um, but I like that one. I would do, what have I been listening to recently? Um, gosh, I just, I'm a sucker for Janet Jackson. So yes. to me, I'd have to do like my favorite one is, um, Oh my god, it's my favorite song and I can't remember the title. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. It's um dun, dun, uh, she features Black Street on it. Oh, I'm looking at this up on one second. All Janet. good, all good. So the weekend, Janet Jackson. Weekend Janet Jackson, and then I would do I like Nathaniel Rateliff. Um, oh, he's more slower. Like, bit of like Americana kind of feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fun ones. Yeah, um, I've heard a couple of like SOB. Yeah. 
Definitely. Yeah, we'll go there. Okay. And then let's say, you said one of your parents is Filipino, right? Mm-hmm. I'm also Filipino. So nice. I was wondering yeah. if you were to choose one song to do karaoke, <laughs> which one would it be? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that's in both of my blood, right? <laughs> Korea and the Philippines. All right. So the one I'm just like neither ashamed <laughs> nor scared to do, which I've done recently for a friend's like, what was it did he just he got married or something all right so it's Celine Dion it's all coming back to me now I don't know why it must be like all the times we've sung it around the fire camping yeah <laughs> but I can, uh, I can hit the notes it's, it's pretty <laughs> that's the only song though <laughs> yeah very cool that's a good okay. one. what is your proudest accomplishment or happiest memory Oh, let's see. Happiest memory. Um, gosh, I think. <laughs> All right. It is both my proudest accomplishment and my happiest memory. Okay. So I went to a conference 2018, maybe in Heidelberg, Germany. Mm-hmm. There's like an EMBL conference. It was, uh, I think, chromatin and transcription. My two sisters, I'm a middle sister. My two sisters came out to join me after uh, the conference. And, you know, you kind of take those opportunities to kind of travel a little bit more before coming back yeah. home. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And so definitely yeah. travel in grad school. Um, definitely yeah. sign up for conferences and get those awards. But we ended up uh, going through Switzerland and uh let's see we're in germany switzerland france yeah so we're in paris and kind of like a yelpy kind of foodie kind of person so <laughs> love that i looked up <laughs> i looked up the top three croissant patisseries in paris it was number two i don't know what it's called something french but yeah i woke my sisters up at like six that morning and i'm like we gotta go we gotta be the first in line right for the like hottest, freshest baked croissants. <laughs> so we go and I, you know, I'm following the map, but I guess I didn't realize how far it was. I think like three and a half to four miles later, my sisters are pissed. Everyone like has <laughs> coffee or whatever. And I'm just like, running on excitement. I'm like, come on guys, we can do this. <laughs> At the end um, of each block, like, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're almost there. 15 more minutes, I swear. 15 more minutes. Yeah. And it's, Paris is the, the, the streets are really narrow. You always have like a lot of mopeds and small cars and a lot of exhaust in your face. It's kind of a hard place to just walk mm-hmm. peacefully. So we finally get there and there is somewhat of a line. It's not bad. And there's a wooden bench outside. So number one, we made it. That's a huge accomplishment. Yay. <laughs> we go in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We go in. You know, everybody's just like buying up stuff. I got my two croissants. No, I think I got one croissant and something else. We go outside to enjoy the fruits of our labor, four miles of labor. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I have this croissant and I, I took it out so rapidly because I'm just, it's, it's huge too. It's like this big and it's like asymmetrical. It's like beautiful in every way imaginable flaky but i yank it out 
too quickly and it kind of spirals in the air out of my hand, lands on the ground, pigeons are on it. So like, you know, less no. than half a even waiting. And I was like, oh, <laughs> but it's okay. I just get back in line and buy another one. But I don't know. It was just really fun to be with my sister, foreign country, eating an amazing, well, eventually eating an amazing croissant. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I like it. I, I totally speak. thought you were going to say, like, when you got engaged or, like, when you got into oh. <laughs> grad school. <laughs> yeah, I snagged a guy that. and made him my husband. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah. I love him. <laughs> uh, on the topic of food, what are your mm. three favorite dishes and two favorite desserts? Ooh, all right. So it's just an American thing. And I grew up Ninja Turtles. I love Ninja Turtles. So New York style pizza, Neapolitan pizza. I love pizza. Pizza. <sighs> and then sushi. Of course. Grew up in a land of just fresh. Sushi. <laughs> That's sushi. Yeah. Um, and the third one is like my mom's tanghon. I, I love it. Every time I go home, oh, I, I ask love for it. Yeah. So, uh, those are my three favorite. I could eat those things like all day, every day. Yeah. And then dessert. I'm not too big of a dessert fan, but when I do dessert, I like a fruit tart. So it's a crust and then some kind of cream and then fresh fruits on top. Fruit, yeah. And that's it. There's no topping to it. And I like pumpkin pie. So. Oh, I love pumpkin pie. Yeah. Mm. It's autumn too. It's probably beautiful in Colorado, huh? Yeah, I've never, I've been once. So. I don't know if you can see it. It's it's beautiful, except we have a bunch of wildfires. Can you see the mountains? Oh, I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah I I visited my friend who lives in um, Grand no Aurora Springs. I don't know how far that is from you. Colorado Springs. Aurora. Aurora Springs. Oh, or I'm Aurora. A- Aurora. We're in Aurora. Aurora. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, Aurora. Yeah. yeah, we're here. This is yeah, us. Beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. That is all the questions I had for you. Well, so I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, it's been really fun doing this because okay. you never hear the stories, you know. Yeah. So it's really funny just going through different people's upbringings, backgrounds, and it's like I'm taking so much out of it. Too. There were